0: Hey, y'all. It's the second week of ATX TV Festival Season 7 panel releases, and we've got a couple powerful ones for you to tune into. See what I did there? Powerful, power play, power dynamics, all the power. Who has it? Who wants it? Okay, power lady. Did you want to tell the people who we are yet? Oh, do we still have to do that? Yes. We have new listeners. They don't all know who we are. Clearly, we're not the powerful ones. Yeah, that's pretty clear. Okay, I'm Caitlin McFarland. And I'm Emily Gibson. And we are the co-founders of ATX TV Festival and somehow got roped into being the voices of this podcast. Who are you kidding? They couldn't keep us off of this podcast if they tried. Yeah, I'll own that. Given this voice that I'm losing, the people can tell I like to talk. Back to the point. Today's panel is entitled Power Play, and it's moderated by the one and only Maureen Ryan. The thing I love about this panel is that it was a complete collaboration between us, our moderator, and our panelists. We wanted to do a panel on the moment without it being all about sex. We were having conversations about Me Too and Time's Up, but while we felt sex and gender were a big part of that, a bigger part of it is power. Who has it? How do they use it? Who are they keeping it from? We really strive to keep a balance on this panel between creatives and executives, gender and race, and even then, we still didn't have everyone represented that should have been. Hopefully, we can all get a glimpse into the power plays being made in the TV industry. With Salim Akhil from Being Mary Jane, Black Lightning, Love Is, Jessica Rhodes, The Affair, Sharp Objects, Mauricio Moda, East Los High, Pam Visay CSI New York, In Living Color, Nash Bridges, and Kathleen McCaffrey, SVP of Original Series at HBO, talking on power play.
1: Hello, thank you all for coming. And I definitely agree. This is something that I've been really excited about. I won't lie, a little bit nervous about because this is such an important topic and such an important time in the industry where like conversations that a lot of us have had, you know, we want we want to expand them and make them even more meaningful and um, actionable in some ways. So I'm just gonna start introducing the panelists. Salim Akhil, the creator and co show- runner of Black Lightning, come on down. <laughs> Jessica Rhodes, executive producer of Sharp Objects and The Affair. Uh, Pam Bici, uh executive producer of Happen-Lettered in CSI New York. <laughs> Kathleen McCaffrey, senior vice president of HBO Programming. <laughs> and Maurizio Mota, executive producer of East Los High. Of Wise Entertainment. A mic? Is it okay if I sit in the middle? Someone will just signal furiously if I bite them in the wrong place. Oh yeah, Mauricio. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, may have done this a little bit. <laughs> no, I thought there were... Are there more mics? Are there, if there are more microphones... So, yeah. Here we go. Sharing is caring.
2: <laughs>
1: so I was talking to a writer that I know this morning. We had breakfast, and like a good writer, I'm going to steal what she said, and... With everything that the industry's been through the last like eight months, I guess since sort of all these stories about you know abuse of power have been dropping and, and um, changing things, or hopefully changing things, this writer said something I thought was so interesting. It's not that the problems are fixed. It's that the problems are being seen in a new light. Would you agree with that? Anyone can take this.
3: <laughs> um, can I start? Is that okay? Um, yeah, I think I think we're in the beginning of accountability. I think that it's the scratching the surface. I agree with that statement. I think that the the problem. I think we're seeing the twenty percent of the problems, but we're, the accountability is starting. But I think if the, slowly, I'm, I think I'm very cynical about that. I think it's it's happening, but it's much more about. Finding that it's happening and then let's see what goes next, but I agree with that statement
1: One thing I was wanting to to ask all of you is I'm sure you have people coming to you all the time who want to enter the industry or break into the industry What do you tell them about the power dynamics and what do you tell them about? um, how to How to survive, you know, what 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 are your tips that you tell people to? kind of be able to proceed in advance and you know, hopefully protect themselves from the worst of what can go on.
4: Well, ultimately, I think you just tell them to be themselves, to not lose themselves in... First of all, I wanna say that the industry, as we're calling it, is not all bad. That there are really good people in the industry and and i've and i hope everyone else here have found that there are people who encourage you support you and i guess for lack of a better term protect you uh and and nourish you and mentor you so that's been my experience have i seen people who use uh their positions in a negative way of course you know that's an, I've seen that I worked in a mortuary. I saw it in a mortuary. I, you know, I worked cleaning buildings. I saw it in cleaning buildings. So I don't think that it's an industry problem. I think it's a, it's, it's a problem that people have in, in the, in the world where people use power as an instrument of, of destruction. And so I think what I, I, Typically tell anyone including my children is to be yourself and to know your own limitations. You do have a choice You have a choice to be able to turn around and say no, and sometimes it's difficult Let's let's be honest sometimes saying no and being in a certain situation is difficult But I think the best thing you can do for anyone is to tell them to be themselves and calibrate uh, their own behavior and to when you notice it in the beginning it's probably best just to turn around if you can. It's, sometimes it's difficult, but that's the best you can do with any adult.
1: No, I definitely think that's true. Um, I think, you know, one thing I say a lot, and you guys can contradict me in, in the audience too, I kind of have this thing, this line that I say that Hollywood is not democratic. And I'm not talking about how people vote, but it's a situation where people have like the showrunner in the writer's room, there's one vote in the writer's room that counts and it's the showrunner. And I don't necessarily think, you know, everything should be decided by committee because an artistic vision is often what makes something great. But do you think that people outside the industry misunderstand how it fundamentally operates? That they think, oh, if every, if people, uh, it, it's an industry where people often ascribe progressive liberal views, but I, f- I find that the power dynamics are often quite a bit more harsh than that. And, and just certain people have very, very great amounts of power and, and many, many other people have almost none or very little. Am I wrong on that?
5: Well, I think there's a difference between creative power and kind of unruly control. And, I, and I'm a firm believer in creative power. I think that's what television especially is. That's what art is. It's someone with a singular voice and a singular vision and then all of these people who are, you know, collected to help support that vision. And so, for example, in the writer's room, yes, all those voices and all those ideas are fantastic until someone, the showrunner, makes a decision and that's, that's the journey you're now on. And you have to take that turn. I think that from a power standpoint, it's a different thing. I think creative power is different than administrative power or um, the ability to control another person's livelihood when it has nothing to do with their creative ability. And that, I, I think those are
1: different things. Yeah, no, I think that the thing that I think maybe people don't necessarily understand is that you know it's an industry of freelancers. Everybody, I don't think that a lot of people feel like they have a ton of job security. I mean, I would bet everybody on this stage has seen a coworker fired and have to pack up their office and leave that day. So there's that level of uncertainty in the industry, and I think that that's, and the thing is, that can happen for any number of reasons, including justifiable reasons and unjustifiable (laughs) reasons. So, under those conditions, can it be difficult for people to kind of feel solidarity? Do, I mean, do you think that there's maybe more of that now that these stories are coming out? Have, has Have people's ability or desire to network with each other and have each other's back? Is that the same as it ever was, or is it changed?
6: Um, I've been in this business a long time, and there, a lot of things have changed, but I think... Um, I don't think it's a question of solid error. Well, let's put it this way. It starts at the top of the showrunner on a show. And what they do in a room and how they run their show um, and what integrity they have um, should be followed by those who work for them. And they have to be the example. Um, I know many times there um, are questions of, what choices do I have to make? Because working in this business you work so hard to get here, and when you get here, you wanna stay in it. And it's such a shame to think that you would have to make a choice of your own personal integrity for a job. That's the hard decision, you know, to be in a position where you think, this person makes me feel uncomfortable, but I'm gonna live with it because I really wanna to go to the next step. Um, so when you say solidarity, there's, you're you're afraid to take that to someone else. You know, it, I'm not sure, yeah. It's, right now, what we need to do is have conversations like this so that it builds solidarity. <laughs> I think we're getting to that, using that word. Um, but there's so many choices you have to make um, as women, uh, as, as a particular race, as uh, you know, being older, being younger, where you think, just stay in it. And those are the issues that are being brought forward, the choices you make. But you have to believe you're in an environment where you're safe
1: absolutely um i mean do you th- do people on this panel think and i would love to get everybody's pers- perspective i kind of have it intertwined two questions do you think that things have changed in terms of working conditions and the overall operation of the inter- industry in terms of you know power dynamics and abuse and all those things do you think that things have changed and do you think that that change is sustainable and we'll carry on. So if, if people want to, do you want to start, Mauricio? And then we can go down the row.
3: Oh, more Ryan. <laughs> um, I, th- I, don't, I think that the, the word change is a very fluid word, right? I think that, I think what's happening, again, getting back to accountability, I think people, people that are used to abuse or used to have abuse as a tool are more careful. Every week, I hear different stories like, oh, that person is thinking five times before saying something in the writer's room. That's a good sign, but it's not change. It just means that that bully is just like really controlling the words that he or she says. So, but I think that, um, uh, but I I still think that, uh, that's why I love the idea of this panel, because I think that the power structure needs to change. That's the most important thing. I think that, something i've been learning a lot is that power always brings its own narrative to justify power i think that that's that's one of the things that like uh, our industry has so many rules and these dogmas about oh you need to go through this specific gatekeeper and i think that because of those rules the a lot of abuse still happens unless i'll give an example last week i was meeting a writer. Uh, just a general meeting, uh, she was really wanting to pitch something to us, and she was explaining and all that. And she was um, afraid about pitching that specific idea because her reps didn't want her to pitch those ideas to us. The reps were not even in the room. But she was afraid, yeah, but my reps said that I shouldn't be pitching that idea to you. So it was me and my wife who were partners in the company. And to your point about being authentic and being herself, she was afraid of being herself. She has this opportunity to be sitting with the heads of an independent studio who are wanting new voices. And she was afraid of these ghosts that they were not there. They're not even in the next room. They were not in my, they were not there with her. They're not in the next room. You're like, oh, she was whispering. No, so I think that because you have this this power dynamic that the agents know what's best for you and for me it's it's about that's the thing about change so i think that it's uh i I don't think it changes is happening i think that people are more aware of you know i think we're in a state that people are paying more attention but i don't think it's changing yet i don't know if i answered your question
2: I think though, um, for us, you know, we talk a lot about culture and workplace culture, and that, and what I've seen happen in the last, you know, six months or eight months is um, just the generation under me is so much more willing to talk in a way that we were just sort of like, you take your licks and you keep on moving and whatever. Now, specifically, the women who work sort of at the the lower levels are calling it out, and you can call it out in a way that you haven't before. And so, to your point about change, like it is just about talking about it and saying the things. And I'm I've been impressed that that they're you know they're just if something feels wrong they say it and and that's just and it doesn't mean it's fixed immediately but at least now we're like oh yeah that doesn't feel right something feels funky about that you wouldn't say that to oh a man you know what i mean like stuff like that that you just they say it and i'm so impressed by that and it's encouraging and inspiring and i've been doing it too to the extent that you know you kind of break the habits of just internalizing it and go and you know and share. yeah exactly and so um it's going to be slow, but I feel like it's ha- don't you see? I agree completely, and I actually think that's the first half
5: of the change. And I know there's a grander scale, and I agree it's you know a tipping point, but I think it's about moving us all forward. And I think the really interesting thing about people, not only feeling whatever has happened, however it's happened, I think this idea that people can feel safe in their environment saying that made me uncomfortable. That whatever, whether it was HR before, whether whatever, whatever the processes in place were not there enough, so that you felt like your your job wasn't in danger, that you had you didn't have the power to speak up for the feelings that someone was making you feel, whether that was on a an aggressive side of the spectrum or something, just like eh, mm-hmm. I don't appreciate that, and I don't think you'd say that to a male colleague or. Um, you know, a, a white colleague, like, because this is not just a male and female thing, you know, I think this is, this is anyone who doesn't feel like they have the power in a situation. And so for me, where the optimism comes and where I feel like the change is coming is the education on the other side, because as much as I feel like, yeah, we've gone and kind of just learned to deal with things, on the other side, I don't think people have been given the opportunity to learn, because they haven't known that that thing that they said or did made right. us a little uncomfortable. And I think as much as this young generation you're yeah. saying under you of, of say, in this example, women speaking up for, mm, I didn't love that. I think this young generation of men are hearing, oh, I, you know, because they learned too. As much as we learned to not say anything, they didn't hear it was wrong. Right. And I think on a very subtle level, right. I think everyone, I'm such, I get teased for being too optimistic, but I believe that everyone walks into every situation not trying to hurt people. There are those people. But I mean, on the, on the general scale, and we need to all figure this out together, and we need to adjust our behavior together. And so that's where I see the change, is the, the feedback of someone being able to be like, that was not my, that did not feel good. And, and then people having a second chance to say, didn't see that coming. Let me change, and if those people are changing, that's actually where the change is.
2: The other thing I would say about the feedback is there also positive feedback because now when you're all the bad shit comes out, and you're like, oh, but there are people doing it right, and just being able to say like, look, I have had a great boss, I've had, you know what I mean, I've had great mentors. I have this person. Look at that, you know, person over there who's doing an awesome job of of being supportive and inclusive and in all the things you want you know, somebody to be. So also, you know, being able to look around and go, oh, not everyone's terrible. And now be, I have tried at least, too, as part of the change to vocalize people who I think are doing a great job of being inclusive and sort of, you know, the men who don't make women feel uncomfortable, but in fact, do the opposite and make them feel empowered and push them forward. Do you know what I mean? So like making sure you're saying all the positive things, too. Marty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marty. Hi. Hi.
1: Marty Knoxon. <laughs> Hello.
4: It's interesting listening and, and hearing in and, and this moment because it, it, me and Mara, my wife, we've been in this business for a moment, right? And it's just now getting to a point where I wouldn't say we felt abused because we wouldn't allow ourselves to feel abused, but uh, or, or to be abused. But it's interesting because you know, black folk in this business. A few years ago was a genre. you know I remember when our shows were cancelled, you know uh, girlfriends and the game, I was up for a couple of and you talking to someone who had directed maybe a hundred and some episodes of television, and I was up for a couple of jobs, and the feedback not so long ago was, well, he's only directed black shows, and I was sort of like, well, it's not like I'm directing fucking dolphins you know <laughs> We were, t- we were telling stories about human beings, you know?
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> and so when we begin to have these conversations, you know, we were having this conversation yesterday on a panel that's like, we've been in this fight for 20 years, all of our careers, to we've been vocalizing and talking and screaming. And encouraging people all of our lives, all of our careers, because that's what we had to do. The struggle was real every day for budgets, for understanding, for cultural understanding, for, you know, Mar was, we were doing shows about women. And so she's fighting for women every every episode. So now in this moment, right, there's a lot of folk who are talking about power and power dynamics. And that's why I think maybe I, you know, I have a, diff- a slight different perspective on it, is that you do, in the moment that you hit the boards, you have to choose to fight. Because, to your point, there are a lot of, not only privileged, but people who have been privileged for a very long time. And no one has challenged them. They, it's like a flower that wilts under extreme heat. You, you you get in these people's presence and they have so much power, you can wilt. But what's interesting, it's almost like a bully. As soon as you decide, fuck you, I'm not going to sit here and let you will this power over me. I have something you want. That's why I'm sitting here. And when you go back and push back on the bully you find, to your point, oh, you know what, It's they're not really a bully. They've just been privileged, and nobody has chosen to say anything to them. And then most of them will actually listen. And they're not listening because they're necessary. They're good people, but they're not necessarily listening <laughs> to you because you have something interesting to say. They're listening because you have something interesting to sell, and you're going to make them look better. And you're going to make them more money. So I think that if we, as so-called minorities or women, we go into these situations and we realize that we have value, that the reason we're sitting in, the, in, the, in their presence is we have value and we operate from that value position, I think that it won't be a, a, a situation where we're expecting them to change. We are changing the dynamic. If we play into the dynamic, then they'll stay the same. But if we change our behavior, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound as though there aren't situations where there is extreme pressure and some people will give into that. But I do not think it's the majority of situations because not everybody wants to go to jail. You know what I mean? And so I think if you sit in a situation and you change the dynamic, you become the change agent. People will recognize that and they will, uh, they will respond to you differently, I think.
5: But I think the interesting thing about power is it takes a long time to know you have it if you have been culturally told you don't. Um, And the idea that, and we talk about people that are privileged from a very young age feeling like they could take any chance in the world, whether it's saying something in a room and not feel like they're going to be asked to leave the table, or um, a creative big swing because they don't feel like this is their only shot. If this doesn't work, they're never inviting me back. And so I think that part of it is recognizing that you have the power to take the swing, that you have to believe that you've found a way to do it and you're going to be the change agent and that, you know, whether it's making a creative swing that might seem unpopular, but it's going to it's gonna work or it isn't, and that you have to, to your, you know, authenticity and belief in yourself. Or, I mean, I've been in a situation at that table and... You hear the conversation going one way, and you came to that table to to hire, say, a a woman or a person of color, and you were like, this is the show. We are going to do it. And everyone comes to the table, and everyone is saying that, and everyone's excited. And then at some point, someone throws out another name. And that's not that they shouldn't, but they do. And you watch very quickly, and all of a sudden, nine names later, you're still over here. (laughs) And and you you go, okay, I'm going to do it guys, we were talking about this, and you have to bring the whole room back, and everyone wants to go back. No one meant to, like, everyone does want to go back, but it takes being confident in that power that you've never known you had to say, this is not going to close my door. This is not going to get me kicked out of the table. And so it's it's complicated. Uh,
1: Pam, you've been in a lot of writers' rooms, and one thing that I think... (laughs) having talked to... I'm sorry. (laughs) This is a a moment you can share. It's a safe space. Um, This is something I see and hear about a lot. And and I I frankly... I'm just tired of it. Um, The idea that, well, we're going to staff up our room. Let's get a woman. And let's get a person of color. And then if there's a woman... (laughs) And, yeah, and so I think, like, I, I think a while ago, Hollywood got the message, we should have diverse writer's room, and I just, I don't I try not to even use the word diversity, because it makes me want to, like, punch myself in the head, because I feel like people throw it around way too easily, and I don't even know what they mean by it half the time, but, I, but actually, I think what they mean by it is, well, we hired one black person, and that's not. It's not, is that meaning, I mean, is that still the mentality that, that kind of is predominant when they're hiring for writers' rooms and trying to staff up, do you think?
6: Yes. Unfortunately, um, there's, they feel a significant victory, and it happens a lot with directing as well as writing, as well, you know, what's in your room and what, who's directing. It's, it's this check-the-box mentality. Ching, 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 we got, we got the woman. We got the African-American. We got the old lady. That's me. They get, they get three boxes if they pick me. Um, and they're satisfying because writers feel a comfort with the people they've worked with before and who most men have worked for but with before are other men like them. I mean, when the business started up, when I, since I've been a lot of writer, I have so I was so much of my career the only woman or the only African-American. Um, even on In Color, there are only two women, one white and one African-American. I mean, there's this illusion that it's not, you know, that it's, if it's an African-American or a show of color, that there's a lot of, that's not the case. That's, it's really, it, people don't make the effort. They find um, comfort in writers I've worked with. And the majority of writers people have worked with are of one race, one sex, one um, mentality, more often than not. Um, it's, it, the change is happening because they're make creating the programs, but the effort is, to me, is not as great as it should be. It, it, and it, and it's sad that you have to have a program. It's sad that they have to check the box. It's sad that the network has to say, um, you have to find two, um, uh, directors, uh, of color or a woman or, you know, something and, and they call me. They, I get a lot of phone calls. Who do you know? You know, and, so, and they're trying to just check the box because the network said. Opposed to, um, what is my show about, and how can I reflect the world, and how can it be? A, wouldn't it be great if it's a woman's? Uh, it, you know, even if it's men that a woman is part of this without a mandate. There's there's a lot of mandates, and they're checking the box. And once they're done, they're done. And it's re, it it continues to happen that way. Um,
4: of diverse hires on black lightning and i was like oh really and i was like oh great and they kept saying the names and the names sound suspiciously black and i was like oh when you say diverse you mean black people well i thought you meant white folk uh, yeah i was like oh okay i get it oh okay because I was, you know, I was like, oh, you guys know some white writers. Okay, this is great. And they were like, but the names were like, you know, suspiciously black. I get it. I get it.
1: Jamal. Get it. Yes.
7: <laughs> a white
4: guy named Jamal? What You're really moving forward in life? Things oh are God, changing.
6: That's... Wow. <laughs>
3: um,
6: yeah. <laughs> On the other subject of power, I think our when you were talking about change, I just wanted to say that um we, our first step has to be refrain. You're not going to get to change until people refrain and they make themselves aware of the wrong things to say. Because writer's room, by nature, feel like these safe havens. You know, the people, you want to feel like you go in the room and you can say anything and it won't go out of the room. It's like writer's rooms are like Vegas. What happens in the writer's room stays in the writer's room. Um, but people were not aware that some of those things said are offensive. They were, they were giving it, the writer's room the label of, This is our safe space. We should be able to say what we want. And so it allowed people to break rules in speaking to being in a lot of writer's rooms. Um, So refrain has to be the first step before the change of people refraining and really thinking about, that's inappropriate for me to say. We have to hold ourselves responsible for what is said or how someone's treated or what assumptions you make about someone's background um, because a lot of that happens in writer's rooms.
4: Things like they would say, things like... I don't know if you guys have ever heard this term but they would say little things like when you know the script was coming in late people would say well let's gangbang this bitch yeah. and that was that was a, like a, a saying in the writers room you know what I mean and, and I remember Mara was like we're never saying that again we're never you know yeah. someone said it in the writers room and she was like that's not what we're going to say here I mean but it was that was real let's gangbang this bitch it was crazy
1: yeah, no, I th- and I think um, one thing I'm conscious of that I've done is, a- a- like, ask the people who are already in the oppressed or marginalized communities to educate me, so I try to be aware of that, and sometimes, like, the, look, I have a ton of off-the-record conversations with people, and we're trying to, like, enlighten and talk and have real conversations, but I, I also think that, like, there's this thing that exists called, like, the internet, and, like, how to not sexually harass people, like just put that in the search bar. You know what I mean? Because I feel like um, people of color, LGBTQ folks, women, you know, women generally, I think are often put in the position of, well, I didn't mean that. So educate me. And I'm like, I'm. I'm actually up to a point. I'm happy to do this, but also, you're everyone's just trying to survive in this industry, and you're already facing the pressures of that. And then, you know, do you sometimes just feel like could you maybe educate yourself and not like call me on a Friday night as I'm trying to have my glass of wine? And like, <laughs> is that a thing that you kind of sometimes feel like that's another role that you have to play?
3: Uh, you mean educating people about behaving? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm gonna tell a story. I think it's important to. Uh, I like to, to, to work with examples. I remember one day we were in our, we were in one of the agencies. We were wrapped by a big agency. And then um, generally I was the one more going to meetings because of the business aspect. And then finally I was like, guys, I think it's time for Katie to come to a meeting with me so she can start pitching her shows, preparing for development season. And then I came with Katie and then it was me her and five guys in the room of this agency which is okay it doesn't matter if it's five guys but I'm just it's I think it's an important factor so it's five guys six a six men me and her and then she's pitching the shows and uh, and Katie's is like it's so funny because Katie is like stunningly beautiful blonde so she's like if you look at her as an as a typical male agent she's a barbie but she's a fucking shark she's a killer But she's very nice and very polite. And then she pitched the shows, everybody was very excited. And then she had to leave earlier, because she had another meeting to present. Uh, She's also a director, so she had to go to another meeting. And then the guy who was leading the meeting comes to me and says like, wow, Mauricio, we need to start bringing Katie to all the meetings now. And then I was like, "Okay, you understand. Forget that she's my wife.
1: Right, she's your wife.
3: No, 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 no. Let's, let's just, for, I said that to him, I said, let's forget she's my wife. It's like, she's the co-president of my company. She's a showrunner, director, writer. And she's your client, motherfucker. <laughs> and then the, the second thing he said, like, whoa, 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 I was just joking. You Latinos. I'm not kidding.
1: What's his name?
3: <laughs> no, let's. But again, it, I'm just giving it like. Still have
1: tea. <laughs> right?
3: No, but we, at that moment I said, guys, we can't work together anymore. Yeah, yeah. We've been here for three years. We've been working. We we you know we bring you money. You eat ten percent of my money. I sneeze, you get ten percent of my sneeze. So, and then again, but but again, but that, but, but again, it's a thing that is you the things that you learn, which is that was the same guy that when I was interviewing him to be my agent, and it was just myself, the f- it was the first half hour of the meeting, he was talking about all the houses He went in Rio, because I'm Brazilian, so let's talk about the houses that I loved in Rio. And I'm, so it's, there is a, but uh, how do you educate someone about that? Yeah. It's really, you don't, a frat boy will always be a frat boy. So I think it's, and the, uh, to Salim's to point. You educated
5: him by firing him.
3: Yeah, yeah, you have to. <laughs> Yeah, but hopefully, but I, but I think that it's, uh, and I'm not saying vent or anything, i just like, you have to go to an agent that understands that and that, because you shouldn't be thinking about that, right? Just like, okay, I need to go to an agency that doesn't harass my partner. But I think you educate by firing or you educate by working with other people that respect you and understand your potential and all that. So I think it's uh, It's hard. I think I think there is a, there's a necessary purge. I think there's education by purging too. I think it's really hard because I think that we are going through a challenge right now. We're very, like, there's a, the reinvention of manhood in Hollywood. I think that that's one of the main problems. The narrative around manhood needs to change in Hollywood. It's a deep thing that we need to talk about. I, forget, oh, I don't know. Yes. Yeah just talking about our industry, but, like, it's uh, it's something that, and I recommend everybody to visit. There's an organization called A Call to Men that has been really doing this. This guy called Ted Bunch, who went to the Time's Up, and it was fascinating to see him in a room with, like, 150 men in Hollywood, and this guy was saying stuff about, you could see the guy's dicks shrinking. <laughs> because, because he was given an example of, like, Guys in Hollywood, they're feminists after they become parents of fathers of girls. And you can see the guys hiding on their seats because we are a very sexist industry. And And I think that getting to your question about education, I think we need to really go deep into the discussion of manhood in Hollywood because... We it affects the whole to your point what we do affects society it affects how my daughter sees herself how my son behaves and all that so well
1: this is this is actually one of the points I wanted to get to that um you know I live in out we live outside Chicago like I'm not like I'm not i I'm not hanging out in la I mean I go there a lot I like a lot of people there I like a lot of people in the industry you know I I I sometimes have days where I feel very dark about the future, but then other times I talk to folks like you and I feel moderately less dark. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing I hear a lot is, well, I totally agree this happens in all industries. The conversation about toxic mas- masculinity, white fragility, um, you know, homophobia, all these conversations need to happen for sure. But to me, there is a difference in Hollywood in the sense of when someone has risen to the top of an industry that is rigged to favor those who exhibit that to- toxic masculinity or those who exhibit white fragility those who exhibit or tolerate or enable homophobia when they are telling our culture's stories that frankly scares me i'm raising a child you know like i want him to see people on all their full humanity and i think that do you agree that it's a problem that the gatekeepers are essentially that those guys would have rewarded a person or been like if you had laughed and said you're so funny let's go hit the strip club like maybe they would work harder for you you know and I just I think am I wrong to think that it's really it's it's frankly to me dangerous that abusive toxic people can get into high positions of power, as we've seen in the last eight months of just of people who have been reported about, and there are many who haven't. Am I am I wrong to be worried about that dynamic in the culture? Well, does anyone want to address that, or did I just ramble on too long?
4: I don't think you. I don't think you're wrong. I just that dynamic. I know that you say that that dynamic it has a special. I guess, place in Hollywood, but I really don't think so. I, I think it has a special place in society worldwide. Everywhere that I've been in the world, there has been somebody who hates another person or there has been some man who has oppressed in some shape, form, or fashion a, a, a woman. And I think to I think to say that it's a, something particular or stronger in Hollywood gives it way too much power. Because I think that uh, ultimately, again, and I know I keep saying this, ultimately, you know, look, you, if you're a man and you grow up in America, I'll just speak about this country, you can't escape being sexist. I'm not sitting here saying that I'm not sexist because that would be stupid. I, I'm, I'm raised in this country. And I'm sure I've said something or done something that was sexist. and I would, But I would say to you, I'm like the least sexist person ever, right? But I'm sure that some of my, the way that I think. So I think, to everyone's point, the atmosphere just has to be comfortable enough that if I'm a man in power, that if I say something, a woman could say, Celine, that's, come on, man. And then I would say, oh, fuck, I'm sorry. I didn't really... See it like that, you know. I, I just—that's just the way I was raised. So you have to have a little bit of room for these frat boys. You have to say, "Yo, man, that's my wife, bruh, and she's a lot more than just a pretty blonde," you know, in the room. And then it's his choice to then say, "You know what, man? I didn't see it like that. I'm sorry." But if he just like, "Yo," you fucking latin people then you're like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah then that's when you that's when you step it out another you have the you have an opportunity to back that shit up and if you don't back it up then like you said you know that that's
1: a person you should not be involved with because they're going to just keep doing it. I guess the point i was trying to make is if we look back at You know, people within the marriage equality movement pointed to Will and Grace as something that helped educate and change the narrative. Television is a really effective narrative tool about who we are, and I think that that's a great example of the narrative being changed for the better, but TV can do the opposite. And I've watched 20 years of women being raped on TV to motivate men. Or killed. And I've watched twenty years of I, I always have this little image in my mind if if you bring pull out a stopwatch, every time you see a characters on screen, look at how often on screen a woman of color is speaking. And it's always the lowest percentage. Like if I keep a running total in my head, and I'm like, How are we doing this as a society? How are we shutting out certain people? And we could change those narratives but I think there is that fear
4: also you have to pay attention because in those 20 years there may not have been a plethora of shows but there were shows that had women speaking people of color speaking but when you marginalize them when you say oh girlfriends is not as good as sex in the City." You know when you when you can't include girlfriends or other shows like that in the conversation that's a choice because again we're not doing shows about dolphins these are human beings and women so you have to make a choice and and that choice honestly is not up to me or 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 mara or women at a certain point if we put it out there now you're now that conversation needs to happen primarily amongst white men yeah i can't influence that conversation i can't change the mind of a white man i can't i i can put product out there and hopefully it gets out there and it does but if if i'm doing seven years of a show and you never even considered it for an emmy or you never even considered Mm -hmm. it for and you're telling me i know mara's a great writer and she did some great work on that show, and but you never even put it in the conversation. That has nothing to do with me. That has to do with you going home and not being a fucking racist. <laughs> yeah. That's what, or 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 or, or, or not being a, a, a someone who is against women or women of color. I can't, I can't fight that fight. Yeah, but the fight yeah. that I can fight is getting putting that on television and making sure it gets on television. But I can't. I can't
3: change Donald Trump's life. Can I, can I add something? I'm so glad you brought it up. I think that it's very tricky because I think that uh, there is the, the pedestrian thing. The example that I gave, for example, the agency meeting with me and my partner, That's for me, that's pedestrian because it's one level of the gatekeeping, right? But I'm, I'm glad you brought the example of the Emmys and all that because I think that... Um, I'll, I'll, again, an example. When we did season one of Isla's High, and again, the whole town said we shouldn't make the show. I'm not kidding. All the meetings we had, people would say, We can't do this show, you guys are crazy, etc., etc. The, and the, the phrase would be I'm saying verbatim, this show is, can't be made because the market is not ready for Latinos speaking in English and being protagonists. This is 2009, it's not 1984. 2009. So what we did, we raised money through grants and donations and shot 24 half hour episodes ourselves. But the day it's so funny because and of course we did it on a shoestring. I lost all my hair on season 1 because we made the kamikaze approach of doing it ourselves. But I remember we were doing like we had we were doing a table read for doing the show. We had no money. We rented an HPC, that room we could only, if we We had only two hours in the room, we had like the scripts in the room, and then suddenly one of the actors raised his hand and said, hey guys, there's something wrong with the script. And then Katie and I were desperate because we had no money to reprint anything. And we said, well, what's wrong, what's wrong? He said, no, there's something wrong here because all the protagonists are Latino. The actor said that he thought it was a mistake, that all the protagonists on the script were Latino. And then all the actors start crying in the room because they noticed that the show had, they were, for the first time in their careers, protagonists. It's so sad to, be, to to think about that, right? But when you go to marketing, when you go to PR, and many times the show would only fall into the Latino trade, so, and then what? It's like, I don't want to be cool, it's great to be covered by variety Latino, but I want to be able to sit with Mo Ryan when she was there to explain the show and, you know it, it's it's a very tricky ecosystem because there you can't control certain things of the ecosystem and you're doing a great job and over delivering and being over prepared and i think it's uh there is a systemic thing that we need to talk about about that power thing because it's uh it's very tricky but to 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 Moraine, to most point earlier what really concerns me it's the message that we're making that for me that's one thing that i'm obsessed about right because uh the the, the and we and grace is a great example and like we I, I like to say that and it's about power we should it's great to point fingers at NRIA, but Hollywood is owns 50 percent of the responsibility of the gun culture in the country it's we cannot say about that it's a power dynamic our sh- some shows get guns that are going to be launched in two years beforehand as prototypes and we accept it and we do the shows and we do, so I think it's a, the message has so much power and I think that the ecosystem is so uh, medieval that we need to change a lot of things into, into that power, power play, so.
1: You had a question in the front? Do you wanna, can I give you a mic?
7: Um, there's a great article in The Tempest a couple of days ago about um, a whisper campaign that keeps people um, oppressed, like specifically citing Harvey Weinstein and the actresses um, that he would say, oh, they're nightmares to work with, don't work with them. And then people like Peter Jackson would say, okay, we're not gonna hire them. So the point of the article was is that the that, that people in power are supported by the good people, the good people who refuse to stand up to them or who go along with them whenever they want to smear an actress or smear somebody, keep them oppressed. So, and I know I've had the same thing. I'm dealing with a sexual harassment situation and the people, the good people that I've gone to and talked to about it and have asked for their help, they tell me, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel for what you're going through. And I say, okay, will you help me? Oh no, I don't want to get involved. Um, well will you stand up to this person who's hurting me? Oh no, I'm afraid of him. He might come after me. So these are the types of things that I think are the biggest problem. It's not the assholes in this city or the in in Hollywood, it's the good people who give them the power to do this by being their enablers and by being the the people that ultimately carry out that vendetta. So my question is, how do I get to those good people? I mean, these are the people that are putting on the pussy hats and marching in the women's marches, and yet I go to them and I say, I'm being sexually harassed, and they tell me I don't want to be involved. So how do I get to those people? How do we convince these people not to just say, I'm sorry for what you're going through, but to actually take action to correct the problem, not just listen?
6: Um. I- you're so correct that those people, the good people, need to step up. Um, and this is not an excuse. This is just a culture of the business. Um, it's it 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 breeds on fear and it breeds on you're lucky. Meaning, you're constantly moving through an industry that tells you so many want to do what you do, um, so few get to do it. So suddenly, what you do becomes a very cherished and um, you know, rare event, you know, the career like to be a writer, to be a producer so it's constantly, that's how the business through my career has been um, presented, that you're just every step you take, it's not because you're talented, it's because you're lucky and if those people can remove, I'm lucky and say I'm good, it's what you're speaking about then the power comes back to us it's the fear that when they're saying I don't want to get involved. Now, again, I'm not saying that's an excuse, I'm just saying that's the frame of mind this business has cultivated. Absolutely cultivated.
2: I, I, I wish I had more of an answer. I think that that's still, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, and I'm so sympathetic to what you're going through, and I'm so sorry, and I feel like now I'm one of those good people who's like, I want to help you, but I'm afraid. But, I, I mean, if that's not the case, but, and I, obviously you have a very specific thing happening, so I don't know quite what my advice would be other than to just say, like, I share in your frustration, and I think it's part of what's coming, is that the more we talk about it, you know, the more we can keep shaving off. Um, Right, I mean, yeah, go ahead.
4: No, clearly my coffee has kicked in. So. Here you
2: go. <laughs> yeah, I
4: think what you're talking about again, and I'll step this out a little bit, is so yesterday or the day before I was on the internet and I saw that a 10-year-old black boy was handcuffed by police while his grandmother was watching and the excuse was, oh, you fit the description. 10-year-old child. I have a 9-year-old son. There's a lot of fucking good people in this country. Black men and women and brown men and women have, being, have been killed, lynched, shot. There's so many examples of it, right? And, and people say, wow, that's, I'm sorry that black people are having this problem. I'm sorry that women are having these problems of being raped in Ubers and I'm sorry about that. But until you stop being sorry and start being a fucking human being and stop categorizing yourself in this mystery of whiteness or this mystery of maleness, that really doesn't fucking exist anymore, your whiteness, that white privilege shit is going out of the door so fast, it's down the street and most people don't realize it. That male privilege shit is moving out of this country so fast and most people don't even realize it, it's moving so fast. And if you can't pull yourself out of that and you continue to watch little eight-year-old, nine-year-old boys being handcuffed by grown-ups, by grown-ass burly men or you continue to make excuses and try to set up a system that is going to stop a woman from being raped in an uber You, know, we know how to stop that shit yeah. we can stop a fucking cuban cigar from getting in this country but we can't stop police and men from raping people and beating people up we can stop it so the good people you're right are absolutely the problem and you in the only way in my opinion The only way you can get to them is to hit them over the fucking head and to say to them, you can't wilt. You have to say, so wait a minute. You got you. I think you call it a pussy hat. So I'm going to call it a pussy hat. You you got you have on this fucking pussy hat. But I'm talking to you about the very problem that you're marching about. But you won't hear me. So fuck you. So when it's your turn. I'm not going to treat you like that, but I am going to remind you I came to you first. So I think we just have to be angry about the shit. Clearly, it's either a coffee or blackmail anger. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I can I just add something quick. Yeah, and then uh, I'm hoping Marty can ju- chime in too. In, okay. After you you want to go, Marty, first, and then.
1: Yeah, Marty, come on. Uh,
3: <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you, does anyone want to?
7: We need to get this on the record. <laughs>
8: Um, I'm Marty Oxen. I, um, I have a show on TV that debuted on Monday called Dietland. Um, and um, it is about a 300-pound female protagonist who is recruited by a feminist collective to, um, you think, just change her mind about weight loss surgery. But there's also a female terrorist organization killing predators. And so... Hats off to AMC for totally supporting this crazy-ass show that you know deals with tr- creating revolutionaries, basically. Um, and it has all kinds of, it, it's a rainbow coalition of Tracy Flicks in the show, you know, like just type A people trying to make change. And um, I think, I just wanted to say like, as creators, as writers, you know, you, what you just said is so true. Things are changing so fast. And the way to stay ahead of the curve, we write things that are empathy machines. When they're at their best, they create empathy. They put people in the shoes that they cannot imagine. They can't, but you, they see it in a story. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, my hope with Dietland is that you're walking in the shoes of this 300-pound woman who is abused on a daily basis. And you feel her feelings. So when she changes into a revolutionary, you change into a revolutionary, right? And all you, everybody on this panel knows exactly what I'm talking about, because that's what we do for a living. So as writers, I think, put your experience, but put it in a container that is commercial. Because the other thing I'm hearing is dollar power. The only way we get heard is when we have enough dollar power to say, yeah, I'm leaving my agency. You know, um, I'm thinking about leaving. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) I'm not thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about leaving the agency business, but that's because I have dollar power. I could not do that when I was a writer's assistant, you know, dealing with everything you're talking about. And it's so funny because as a woman who's perceived as like pretty, because that's what I thought I had to be. You know, I deal with a lot of people going like, well, you had it so easy. And I'm like, no, we had two ways in. One was being cute. You know, and the other was um, being cute. No, being related to somebody. There were two ways in. You you were an assistant who was cute and agreeable, or you were related to somebody. There was no other way in 20 years ago. You just had to do one of those two things, right? So you're like, and no, you know, yes, I have all the, I absolutely have privilege. I get that. But I didn't have a safety net. So I had to be like, you know, you know so it's just this complicated thing but all we can do is create these as writers create these empathy machines that are undeniable that are undeniable that are so much fun and so commercial that people just go well we're going to put this on tv and see what happens and that to me is our power as writers is right from that place that people can't deny and then Get that dollar power and just like you said, like start saying, yeah, no, I'm I'm worth... I just turned down uh, an opportunity to to write an amazing movie because they wouldn't attach me as a director. And I said... And I thought, you know, if a guy had the second highest film sale at Sundance a year ago and he attached himself to a movie as a director, in my experience, they'd be like grateful for that. But I have to do 10 times more to get taken as seriously. So it's not people keep talking about the reckoning I'm like wait who's in jail who's in jail nobody yet I'm like anyway I could go on because I think about this stuff a lot but I also just want to thank you guys for your honesty and I promised Jessica I'd send her a softball but I couldn't do it I'm so sorry Um, but yes thank you for everything you said
3: we don't have more time right
1: I think we're out of time. So you wanted yes. to say a closing thought. Yeah, I'm leave, I want to give it to the panel, not me.
3: No, I just think that um, I think that to your question, I think it was very impactful. About it was very impactful about what you said. I think that it really is about. I, I agree with Salim said. You have to say it, and and then in the beginning, people. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you brought example. Oh, you're complicated. You're hard to work with, but you need to keep pushing because it's integrity is something that you can't compromise in your well-being and your mental health and it but you have to push back and and build an, a, an alliance of people good people they are not omission people because being good and being omissive is not a good thing so that's my only point about surround yourself of people that are really ready to go that extra mile for you because it's uh you can't go the other way it's it's going to destroy you so
1: Sorry that happened. I am truly. There is a lot of... a lot of... Use it. A lot of... Use it. And honestly, my last closing thing I promise I know we have to wrap up. There is power in collective action. One of the most powerful things I saw last fall was the cast and crew of One Tree Hill and then the Royals come together through their own personal networks of texting and emailing each other and being in touch and signing a letter saying, This person harmed us. And we didn't know that we were all siloed off in our own little areas and we didn't truly understand the extent of the damage. And I just hope for you and for every person who suffered damage that you can, you know, find some solace in a community and find some power in a community. So thanks to everyone on this panel. You're all awesome.
0: Thank you all for tuning in to this live release of our ATX Festival panel please come back and listen to the variety of topics coming your way from writer's rooms to reunions to industry insider issues. This podcast was made possible by our partners, Madica productions and the forever dog network. For more information on us and our podcast projects, please visit atxfestival.com and atvxp.com slash podcast. Next year's festival dates are June 6th through 9th, 2019 and passes are available now.